Time to welcome our guests uh, to the programme. I say a very good morning, as normal, on a Friday to Andrew Farris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. No, nice to have you on the show as normal. And let's also say a very good morning to Trin Nguyen, Senior Economist at Emerging Asia at Natixis. Uh, good morning, Trin. Good morning. Happy uh, no, Friday. Absolutely, TGIF. Uh, thanks very much for being on the show. So uh, the end of a, a very busy banking week, I guess we should say, uh, starting off with uh, SVP and Signature moving through Credit Suisse and, of course, ending up with uh, First Republic. Andrew, what's your review of the banking week, so to speak? Well, three things. First, in fact, all the reasons why these banks went belly up in one way or another were so plain vanilla, so there is absolutely nothing it can teach us. Okay, it's a usual thing. There is a discrepancy between either the liquidity or the size or the riskiness of assets against their liabilities. Very simple, terrible simple. Now, why does it happen and why I'm so clever and they're not? <laughs> well, I have an idea. First, first, mercifully, I don't run a bank. I run a small <laughs> consultancy firm and I know how I run my affairs. And uh, the second point is, does it teach us anything? Absolutely nothing. The only thing that taught me is that uh, moral, uh, let's say, hazard has completely gone out of the window. Sarcastically, I said, next time I drive my Lamborghini on a wall, I'll say it doesn't matter, it's not insured, but somebody's going to pay for it. Well, you know, that's, that's not the way to run a banking system. But they do it, and I don't, and presumably they wanted to avoid a much more major crisis than it was. As for the Swiss bank, my God, literally, they took the box of how not to run a bank, a bank, and they ticked every single box. Money laundering, we've done it. Uh, um, sort of uh, issues of uh, bribery, we've done it. Uh, client data being lost, we've done it. Arcados, oh, we were an important component of it. So all this simply accumulated, and somehow the people decided to withdraw their deposits at just about the worst time in the year. That was between the 11th of uh, April and the 15th. Now, it was at the same time that the American banks were going down. Talk about being uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, doing the wrong thing. I'm sorry, I'm being a little bit cynical here, but Surely I, wish not, I, Andrew. Tell you, I wish I could tell you something of profound significance, knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Zilch. Okay, bye. Trin, uh, uh, Trin do, you, do you think we should be cynical about all of this? I mean, all of these banks rescuing each other, it does seem like uh, it's been one thing after another this week, hasn't it? Well, first, I think what we're seeing here with SVB um, and, and subsequent events is really the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, of what's happening, how what's happened after the Fed raised rates very aggressively. Let's not forget that this is the most aggressive tightening cycle since the ninth, since 1981, um, and and what that means is that we are used to uh, very very low rates for more than a decade now, and this is going to percolate because when you have really low rates, it, it causes people to be quite complacent uh, with whether it's risk management, um, whether um, it's, it's risk taking, and a lot of the uh, and leverage with a lot of leverage in the system. So what we're seeing here is a bit of a shakeout um, of, of 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 companies, sectors, and economies that are too leveraged, poorly managed, um, and very interest rate sensitive, right? Um, and I think more will come. And the good news about this is that with the shakeout of SVB and subsequently the rescue, um, the so-called 
kind of a private sector but coordinated by the government, the $30 billion deposit, is that we're reaching the end of the tightening cycle. Um, what's clear is that um, the Fed needs to pause and analyze what has happened. Of course, the inflation fight continues, and we're going to have another 25 basis hike. But we're not going to get a 100 basis point hike, uh, which was priced the week prior to, to, to what happened uh, um, at the end of last week, right? Um, so, so that is what I would call a silver lining, you know, playbook, however you want to call it, of everything. And what's clear is also it's very um, targeted in the rescue. And secondly, uh, um, they're going to try to uh, uh, maneuver, basically, to, to, to be quite gentle because, you know, we, we, we are very clearly uh, in a very, very fragile environment where – um, you're going to have a lot of repricing mm. of expectations in the future, given the fact that this is a new normal where you have higher rates. But even with the cut expectations, um, we're not going back to zero. We're not going back to negative interest rates. Um, so do you in, think, in do you think, Trin, that we should actually be blaming Jerome Powell uh, for all of this mess because it's his interest rate rises that have, have caused it? Uh, well, I would say it's everything, right? Um, so it's hard to say to pinpoint one person. Jerome Powell isn't the only person that sustained interest rates much higher, lower than for longer than expected. It was also uh, Ben Bernanke uh, um, and, and, and other central banks across the world, right? The ECB, uh, um, the BOJ, which still has negative interest rate in your curve control. Um, and not only that, let's not forget also very loose fiscal policy by the U.S., right? Um, so, so I think there are many players, and not only that, there's individual responsibility, corporate responsibility. So, so I think it's very hard to say. But long story short here is that we have a very long period uh, where the memories of high, positive interest rate or high interest rate or even uh, central banks responding to inflation by raising rates or even memories of inflation, for example, um, isn't really there. And now we're going to have to learn um, it's this new normal and operate. And I think in the, in the longer run, when you deflate the bubbles slowly, obviously it was very aggressive in 2022, mm. but I think it's going to be much gentler now. Um, it's actually going to be very positive for financial sustainability, right? Because central banks wouldn't want to continue with lower rates um, uh, for, for, for longer, given the fact that we now know um, that there's a lot of, uh, you know, excessive risk and mismanagement in the system. So do you and the think regulators that, um, are also having to step up as well. So do you think that, you know, there should be more financial regulation, particularly in, in the U.S.? You know, is that harking back to what Andrew, perhaps you were saying, Andrew, that, uh, um, you know, maybe banks should be run more along the lines of a, of a small business? You know, they, they need to think like that, Andrew. Well, 100 percent. Look, in my 56 years in the, in the markets, I have never, N-E-V-E-R, seen a financial crisis where the taxpayers ultimately didn't pay for it. Look, the wealthy never pay for the damage. It's always the poor. That's why I was furious when both Yellen and Powell said that the American taxpayers is not going to pay for it. Sorry, that's just not true. If the Fed increases its balance sheet by giving out loans, each time the deposits of the Fed go up, its liabilities, of course, always go up, but the overwhelming assets of the Fed, of the Fed is U.S. government bonds. In other words, each time the Fed prints money, as they call it, it actually lends money to the U.S. government in one way or another. Which means, of course, that it is the American taxpayers that finally will have to pay both the capital and the interest rates on those bonds. So it is not true 
I mean, these guys at SCB are receiving now, effectively, a free insurance at the cost of the American taxpayers in one way or another. I mean, that makes me quite mad. But who cares what I think? Okay, so there you go. Got it off, oh, we care. Got it off my chest. We care, uh, Andrew, indeed. Uh, Trin, you know, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, the US, and uh, obviously Credit Suisse uh, is out of Switzerland, but this kind of contagion has affected, in a big way, the European markets as well. Uh, the ECB, though, uh, putting up um, interest rates by 50 basis points today. Uh, any impact there? What, what do you think is going on in Europe? Well, I think well, the, the fact that it's, there's a delicate balancing act, right? Obviously, inflation, even if it's slowing, is still very sticky. And central banks have basically two mandates plus one, um, which is, of course, uh, um, you know, stabilization of inflation at a target of about 2%, uh, you know, stable employment, and obviously financial stability is part of it. Um, and, and, and the fact of the matter is they, they had for their credibility because um, when inflation was very high, they, they basically kept negative interest rates and, and kept easing money, monetary conditions for too long. And as a result, now they're playing a bit of a catch-up. Now, um, the good news is also very similar to the U.S. after this aggressive hike. Um, and what's very clear is that we have the terminal rate repriced much lower than before. Before it was about 4%, and now it's about 3.4%. So we have almost 60 uh, basis points repriced lower. Um, the second thing is that very similar to the Fed, and we saw a precursor of this already in Korea last year at Q3, is that even if they've raised a nominal price of money, on the quantitative side, you can see some easing of conditions, you know, uh, uh, to, to which to, to manage some of this liquidity uh, uh, situation. So, 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 so as a result, and the fast acting of the SMB uh, um, really points to the fact that this time, um, they really need to be quite delicate and, and much more, uh, much faster than before. But we're still not over in terms of the fight for late inflation for the ECB. Mm. Um, and this is one of the reasons why market rally, um, I think it, 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 we have to be very cautious. We have to be cautious because um, the, this repricing of rates lower is contingent on the fact that inflation um, behaves as we expect, which is that it will gradually slow. Uh, um, uh, over time, right? Uh, um, and, 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 and what's very clear is that, you know, the weather events are very volatile, um, uh, and geopolit- geopolitics are volatile. The China recovery story is actually a big question mark. It, it seems, um, you know, somewhat stable, sure. but not as strong as before. But who knows in the second half? So as a result, I think this year, um, based on what we have seen, January bullishness and then the aggressively spicing in, in February and March, is that the shakeout of higher rates is not over. Um, and um, we're going to see some of this percolate. And that means that central banks have to tread very gently um, mm. in turning fighting to, inflation and to, also ensuring stability. Turning to Asia for a moment, you know, obviously China and Japan, Andrew, have been doing different things. Do you, do you feel that any of this is going to cross over, Andrew, into, uh, into Asia? None whatsoever. Remember the famous Asian crisis back in the, in the 1990s, which was neither an Asia nor a crisis. Asian banks, particularly in China, where 75% of the banking system is owed by the government, okay, it is an, it is an issue of fiscal responsibility, not of anything else. So, you know, I don't even bother to look if all this is going to have a major impact on, uh, on, uh, on, on China. Japan is a completely different, completely different case because Japan continues to have near, next to zero interest rates. The new governor 
promised that he's going to do something about it, and I don't have any doubt he will. But I don't think it is an issue that somehow, you know, four American banks go belly up uh, for very concrete reasons. Swiss Bank finally goes belly well goes belly up goes into a severe crisis. Okay, knowing that for years it has been coming up. So I'm not quite sure. I'll get up in the morning and say, good grief, look the unexpected things that are happening. And if somehow this weren't taken into account, then I imagine they shouldn't be there. Okay, I mean, the people that are running the system. So yeah. my answer is, is Japan and China, no. Andrew Ferris is uh, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory and joining him on our discussion today, uh, Trin Nguyen, Senior Economist, Emerging Asia at Natixis. Thank you both for being on Money Talk.